Welcome everyone to Beyond Corporate Services, PwC's Managed Services audio series. I'm your host, David Chabay. Today, we're speaking with Joe Atkinson, Vice Chair and Chief Products and Technology Officer at PwC. Joe, I'm super excited to have you on today because what you do for us within the firm is some really interesting components that frankly, a lot of our clients are interested in. The technology, the innovation that you run is awesome. And so I know we'll get into like, you know, which technologies are going well and which ones our clients should be considering and what do you see coming down the pipe? But first, would you mind just shedding a little light on what it is that the group's doing and what you guys are looking at just across the board? Yeah, David, happy to do it and happy to be with you today. So I have the great privilege of serving as our chief products and technology officer in that role. I have responsibility for all of the firm's technology agenda. That's the tech that runs our offices and manages our back office and delivers great experiences in conference rooms and laptops and all the infrastructure everybody worries about. But it also includes the tech that we build and deploy to deliver our services. And then a part of the portfolio I'm really excited about is technology that we build for clients, very specific purpose-driven technology that helps solve some of the niche problems that they've got that aren't solved by broad software that's available in the marketplace. Yeah, some of those builds have been really, really interesting. When I look back at what we've been able to do as a firm, I mean, there's some that have been, I'd like to say, fairly publicized in terms of the amount of time we've been able to save on the tax components and some of the others. I'd almost like to hear you give your view on some of the technology that's become more mainstream, but maybe not as mainstream as we'd like to have. And also just some of the emerging stuff. So when we think about our clients and we think about the people that are listening right now, they're getting technology thrown at them left and right. What are you seeing as the technologies that are the most impactful right now, both within the firm and, and with our clients? Yeah, it's a great question. I'll start with some of the things that I think are becoming more mainstream. And in many ways, they're actually enabling some of these emerging tech. But for years, we've been talking about data and data analytics. I mean, that's been a topic that feels like it goes back every minute of the 30 years I've been with the firm. And over that time, we've always said it's hard to get the data. It's difficult to get it collected. It's difficult to get it cleansed and ready for analysis, all the problems we've had. I feel like we've made enormous progress in that. Now, nobody's going to stand around and claim that they've got perfect data sets and that they've got it all figured out. But we are so much further than we used to be. And now, as you see some of these emerging tools, generative AI is the one that leaps to mind. So much unstructured data that many of us haven't really figured out how to crack is now going to be kind of in the pool, if you will, because generative AI can help us get to it much faster and get learnings and insight out of it. So... Everybody's talking about AI, everybody's talking specifically about generative AI, but from my perspective, there's no AI without data and all these investments so many of us have made over the years are now putting us in a position to have that pay off. Yeah, you know, when you speak of the, especially the generative AI components and the unstructured data, the problems where we've all had issues in the past, I also think about one of the things we've got the managed services for that predictive forecasting. But yeah. the secret is you have to have a lot of data. You have to have a lot of data. Like you can't do this without a lot of data density. It's going to change the problem statement, I think, for us. You're so right. And we have a lot of data. I think everybody now feels like we're drowning in data. And the question is, how do you sort through which data actually is relevant to the models, which actually is the parts of the model that you should be paying attention to? And how do you constantly upgrade your analysis, particularly those predictive analytics, to use what's available to you? And I think that challenge isn't going away anytime soon. But I do think the infrastructure, the capability, the speed, cloud infrastructure particularly, has made access to that a lot more accessible. It's made a lot more achievable for people. I'd also like to hear your viewpoints on what this is going to do for some of our technology brethren that are heavily focused on it. Because when I look at 
some of the things that generative AI can do. And it's almost like re-empowering some of the users, similar to like Microsoft Excel. And the change in our technology colleagues' jobs, to me, almost seems like, hey, it's not only going to be about just can you manage the data and can you produce a report, but now also a little bit more insight in terms of, hey, so what does this mean for the company? What other data are we not getting to be able to answer those other questions? But how are you seeing this evolve? We've been on a pathway for several years on this idea of citizen-led innovation, right? Really this very simple, but I think enormously powerful concept that if you train people to use leading technology and you make that technology available to them, that combination of a well-trained individual with the right tools in their hands, there's no limit. I'm an optimist at heart. There's no limit to what people can achieve if you equip them with the right tech and the right tools and the right knowledge. And now you look at the advancement of these generative AI tools. You look at terms that we use all the time now that we didn't know what they meant three months ago, like prompt engineers and model mechanics and all of these things that we're all talking about. I do think in many ways it is the golden age of citizen innovation and not because they're going to be building new tools, but because the tools that are in their hands in order for them to provide the kinds of insights that you're talking about, those tools are unlocking capacity in people. They're unlocking the ability to drive value. They're unlocking the ability to give an insight that may not have been possible just a few months or a couple years ago. So I do think it's a very exciting time, but there's no doubt these tools are also going to change jobs. They're going to change work. They're going to change what tasks look like and they will disrupt some jobs. And so there's a lot of change coming for all of us, but I think with any change, as usual, being the optimist, there's a lot of opportunity. Well, let's get practical for a second, too. So we've got some of our listeners that are going to be at some of our larger public clients that and nobody has unlimited budgets, obviously, but have some budget and capacity. We've got some others that, especially with the potential for recession, but the certainty of inflation and interest rates going on, that are looking at declining budgets for internal investments. So if you flip around and put yourself in their shoes in terms of you're now the CIO or CTO at one of these companies, where are you putting your first and second dollars? And what's some of the order of things that you would do for some practical advice for these guys? That's such a great question. One, I think if you're in an organization and you're watching the investment capacity of the organization decline, it's time to step back with the senior leadership team because the investment capacity is going to be required to survive and thrive in the future. And I recognize that's easy to say and hard to achieve. Organizations are under all kinds of strain, but these technologies are expensive. The technology investments that are powering all of these innovations require investment. Now, you got to manage that. You don't want to get ahead of your skis and all the discipline that, that people should expect to apply there. But I do think starting with this challenge of what can we do to improve the operations of the platform that we have, to unlock investment capacity so we can fuel what's next is a really important substance question that has to be discussed in the C-suite. But let's assume you get through that question, you figure out what your capacity is. And again, to your point, nobody has unconstrained investment capacity. I do think standardization of infrastructure is the place to start. Most of us have grown up in organizations that have built technology in lots of different ways for lots of different reasons. You may have grown up in an organization that has acquisitions and mergers and those types of things. And often the integration of the technology platforms was on the plate, but it was really to connect. It wasn't to standardize and simplify. With all of this complexity, what's happening now is you have to simplify and standardize the organization because if you don't, the speed with which all these innovations are happening, you simply won't be able to keep up. You won't even be able to keep pace. So I think simplification standardization is key. Now, that doesn't mean that you go 
wholly dependent on, say, a single or a couple of vendors. You've got to provide the flexibility. You've got to make sure that you've got a multi-cloud strategy. Most organizations are trying to balance all those things out. But I do think that this all starts with the infrastructure. It all starts with getting the foundations right in order to unlock the innovations later. What I like about those points that you're making is it really fits any one of the three things that I see people trying to do with technology. And so, you know, there's obviously cost reduction that we're always looking for. But then there's also how do we serve our customers and clients better and provide either a different experience or a different way for them to access and build in. And then there's the third one, which is how do we provide better information to management and to our investors so that they understand what's going on and that we're, we're making the right long-term choices in an increasing complex world, right? Yeah, look, I think those three pillars are spot on. And I think the ability to get the right information in the hands of decision makers, particularly in times of such uncertainty and disruption, it's never been more important. You have to have great situational awareness. Otherwise, you're really going to struggle in these environments. But I think your other point about the experiences, what's the experience of using the tech? This has been actually a very powerful learning for our team over the last six or seven years. When we started to talk about how we deliver tech experiences to clients, one of the things that we learned, which probably sounds obvious in hindsight, is if you're not delivering great technology experiences to your people, they're probably not going to be very excited about talking to their clients about technology experiences. You have to deliver a great experience inside your organization if you want your people talking with your customers, clients, and stakeholders about technology. And everybody's talking about technology because it's driving so many businesses today. But for us, as we were thinking about where we can move from pure services to services plus tech to deliver full solutions, we needed to make sure that our people had confidence in the technology that when they were using the day-to-day -day assets that we delivered, that they could look to those and share that experience with their clients in order to give everybody confidence that we were delivering at the scale and the capability that people expect. Yeah. And when I think about the user experiences too, I mean, like my mind, like I'm sure most people's minds will jump sometimes to the iPhone or the iPad. I mean, what a ubiquitous device that is so intuitive that literally toddlers can pick it up and understand how to play and interact with it. And when we look at a 99 cent tap game and everybody knows where to go tap next, even the toddler, and then we look at a multi-million dollar system and people are confused. It begs the question. Now, obviously, the multi-million dollar system does a lot more than the toddler's tap game. But that still significantly raised the level of expectation from computers from when you and I started back in the, as my daughter likes to say, the late 19th century. And so, yeah, I remember those days. And it's funny, there's two thoughts come to mind with that example. And Tim Ryan, our senior partner, and I had the great privilege of spending some time with Tim Cook at Apple. And one of the things that he said in that meeting, and I've quoted him many times since, he asked us what benefits we were getting from our relationship with the company. And part of what we said is, look, you're helping us figure out what simplification looks like. And his answer to that was, Joe, it turns out simplification is really hard. Making things hard is really easy. And that inverse relationship, I think, is a constant reminder to all of us. We want to get great relationships or great experiences out there. But if you don't understand that relationship between simplicity and experiences, then it's hard to deliver them. But the other example I share all the time is, so I will go back to our late 90s, before the turn of the century for you and I, David, but when we first started to see video being distributed through mobile devices, there were a couple conversations that took place. One was this conversation that is real, that happened a lot. People would say, why would anybody want to watch video content on their mobile device? That's crazy. Like there were literally people who just didn't see a reason to consume video content on their mobile device. Obviously, they were wrong about that since that's where most of us consume 
the majority of our video content. But the other thing I always remind people is when you first started to do that, you'd get the spinning hourglass or whatever the icon looked like. And because this experience was new, your willingness to wait through that spin and the choppiness of that video delivery and the interruptions and the lagging and all the things that happened, you were just so amazed at the power of the technology that you really didn't focus on how lousy the experience actually was. Fast forward to now, even fast forward to three years later, if we have that lagging experience, we just think the world's falling apart. Like this is a terrible yeah. experience. The standard of expectation around an experience rises exponentially all the time. And that's a little bit of the lot in life for anybody that's driving technology experiences across large enterprises. Well, and you know, that also fits into one thing that we haven't talked about, you know, retaining your people and retaining your customers and retaining even your executives who are going to want to see all this. It all intertwines. And it's not the experience to like make us feel good. I find it's more of the experience to make you feel like you're efficient and you're adding your time into a valuable place as opposed to doing things that anything else could be done. There's no question. It's another great point. If you are, again, we have the great privilege of our model that we have somewhere around 15 or 16,000 people join this firm every year. Lots of people leave the firm. They go off to become great clients and they move on to other stages of their career. But we bring in over 15,000 people a year. If you look at those 15,000 people, imagine them trying to figure out an organization like ours. We've been around for 170 years. We've got 60,000 people in the U.S. And then imagine them sitting at their desk and just having a lousy, isolating experience. It can feel like nobody cares about you. It's this human connection that can be delivered through a great technology experience where you feel like somebody cares how hard is my job to do? Has somebody offered me tools to simplify it? Do they give me the training that I need to take advantage of it? And while they're not reading the 800-pound novels and user manuals that you and I enjoyed at the turn of the century, they do expect it to work and expect it to work intuitively. And I think that obligation on employers to make sure you're delivering that is really important. The other obligation I talk about a lot with employers, and it's particularly, I think, important today with the rise of Gen AI, is what's your obligation to prepare people for the changes in technology so that they're relevant and they can grow their careers? I view it as an obligation of particularly big employers. I realize not everybody has the investment capacity. But if you're an organization like ours, you have tens of thousands of people that count on you to grow the business, to deliver great experiences, to serve clients, to be financially responsible. I think you also have an obligation to make sure that as all these technology disruptions roll through our business models, that we're preparing people to make the leaps that are going to be necessary to be relevant and grow their career using new tools, using new technologies to be relevant and to be conversant in generative AI, for example. I think everybody needs to understand those things and employers need to help. So one last question as we're closing out, we've talked about what's coming, the impact of that some of the challenges, some of the costs, some of the impacts that it has across the organization. But let's talk about one thing that we haven't hit on yet, which is the exciting view of the future and where all this may go and the changes to our economic models to what we can provide our customers and everybody. What do you see there? What's exciting you these days? Yeah, look, there's a great article that Mark Andreessen of Andreessen Horowitz just released. And if you haven't read it, it's a great read. And it is Why AI Will Save the World. And what he talks about is the power of AI tools. And if you just step back and look at the power of AI tools and you imagine a world where every single human knowledge action is augmented by the power of technology to bring you more speed, more clarity, more quality, better insights, to bring you a control check when you need one. Everybody's job will get better. Everybody's job will get more effective. Everybody's judgment will actually get better 
when you start to apply AI tools in responsible ways. And again, every listener now knows I'm an optimist. I've confessed to that 16 times so far. But I also have to acknowledge the challenges, right? Yeah. The challenges that people worry about, they worry about hallucinations. They worry about all of the nightmare scenarios that people talk about with generative AI and AI taking over things and making decisions on behalf of humans. The end of the day, what you've got is code. You have computers taking actions that we instruct them to take. Right. And if you take the right framework, we use our responsible AI framework as a starting point, then the risk goes way, 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 way down. And the opportunity goes way, 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 way up. Awesome. And that's really the theme of this idea of AI can save the world is if we think about it the right way and not just in a hopeful way and cross your fingers way, but you actually do the hard work to apply it in responsible ways. I don't think there's a challenge that humanity faces that AI isn't going to help us solve faster, better, more effectively. Well, you know, I think that's a perfect stopping point. So, Joe, I just want to say thanks so much for your time today and uh, look forward to seeing you soon. Same for the time and thank you for the invite and great to see you and look forward to seeing you soon, Dave. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to Beyond Corporate Services, PwC's Managed Services audio series. I'm David Chabay. Copyright 2024, PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the PwC network and or one or more of its member firms, each of which is a separate legal entity please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.